Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Brown, and welcome to the Millie Podcast. The more I talk with people, the more I'm hearing the same thing. We're all looking for more meaning and more substance. People want to get away from the scripted reality and get to the heart of each person's story. This podcast is for women who want to rip up the script and explore new ideas, places, and possibilities. Every two weeks, I'll be talking with an inspiring and inspired woman who is creating impact in her community. And more importantly, a woman who can teach us to be ourselves, go after our dreams, and write our own story. I can't wait to share this journey with you. It's time to see the world in a different way. Thank you for joining us for this special International Women's Day bonus episode of the Millie Podcast. This globally recognized day celebrates the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. It also serves as a call to action to accelerate women's equality. There are so many online resources, initiatives, and events celebrating International Women's Day, and we are so excited to be part of it. First, where it all started. The United Nations, who established and celebrated the first IWD in 1975. The UN's theme this year is Gender Equality Today for a Sustainable Tomorrow, recognizing women and girls who are leading the charge on climate change. But today, IWD also belongs to all groups collectively, everywhere. It's not country, group, or organization specific. In that spirit, internationalwomensday.com has raised the theme, Break the Bias. They invite us to imagine a world free of bias, stereotypes, and discrimination. A world that's diverse, equitable, and inclusive. A world where difference is valued and celebrated. Today, I am honored and excited to change up our format and engage in a panel discussion with three incredible women who embody this day and both these themes in their own unique and authentic way. Meet Erin Falconer. Erin is a digital entrepreneur, editor-in-chief, and co-owner of Pick the Brain, an online self-improvement community. She's also the author of How to Break Up with Your Friends, Finding Meaningful Connection and Boundaries in Modern Friendships. She has a master's degree in clinical psychology and is joining us from L.A. Next, we have Afia Francisco. Afia is a style advisor, TV and fashion personality, speaker, and brand ambassador. She is also the founder of The Style House, a multimedia platform designed to help women approach their personal style with confidence, simplicity, and joy. And finally, we welcome a past Millie podcast guest, Jen Harper. Jen is an award-winning social entrepreneur and founder of Cheekbone Beauty, an Indigenous-owned and founded cosmetics company created to help Indigenous youth see themselves in a beauty brand. Ah, what an introduction. Welcome, everybody, and happy International Women's Day. How fun is this? So to celebrate International Women's Day, we've decided to host this amazing panel podcast. Thank you so much for joining. I'd love to go around and talk about what International Women's Day means to you and why still in 2022, it is so important. Afia, would you like to lead us off? International Women's Day to me is a moment of recognition, which, you know, in an ideal scenario, it would be unnecessary. It would be um, all, every day and all day. And we know that that's not the case. And so it's an opportunity to highlight and just reexamine why it is that there are discrepancies um, 
for females showing up, whether it's in the workplace or everyday life. And it's an important reminder, you know, it's always nice to have those checkpoints and a celebration in addition to, we all know the strengths and all those things as well, but also to celebrate the joy and the positivities and the contributions of uh, female in the world over. Um, so that's what I love about it. And an opportunity to speak to our male children and the men in our lives and allowing them the opportunity to also celebrate us in a way that they may not necessarily know how to on a day to day. Absolutely. Erin, what does it mean to you? And why do you think that still in 2022, we should be celebrating International Women's Day? Well, I want to say that I think, you know, now more than ever, this this day and this, you know, month really now it's kind of, you know, yeah. the month of March is kind of celebrating this is more important now than ever, you know, coming at least down here, coming out of the pandemic, uh, where women, I think the numbers like 3 million women just left the workforce because they had to literally choose between working or their families, making sure their families are okay and taking care of their families. Um, has just really been devastating, not just from, you know, a, a, a stats point of view, but I think morale from a morale point of view. And so, and then adding into just the fatigue of doing both, you know, um, it, it's really been kind of hard to watch. And down here, you know, what you regardless of what side you're on, you know, re reproductive rights are back on the table. And again, regardless of what side you're on is really not the important point. It's like, but there should only be women's voices making those decisions because yes. otherwise we're starting to go backwards. And so while if you'd asked me this, you know, four years ago, I would have felt really um, positive that there were, we were going in a really good, you know, from a momentum perspective in the right direction. I feel like we've seen a real pivot backwards. And so I think we need to draw attention to just like, it's a celebration, but it's also, you know, a kind of bully pit, like, hey, we need to stop what's going on. We need to band together and we need to get that momentum going back in the right direction. 100%. 100%. Thank you. And Jen? It's such a great day to end month, as Aaron mentioned, because it feels like it's it's truly extended itself. I mean, you know, in reality, this should be a whole, this should be every day, all year, all the time uh, celebrated, much like everything. Um, but it, it unfortunately, it doesn't happen that way but it's such a great time to actually meet new people and women that are just doing incredible things like I always just look forward to the the different events that I get to be a part of and hear the stories I think that to me is the most uh, meaningful part of, of this time of year and then uh, when I think about indigenous culture I think wow what a what an incredible culture to have been rooted in and come from because it truly is a, a different uh, way of, of living. We call it our indigenous ways of knowing and being and it's really, it, it started in a matriarchal view where women were, were really revered um, and looked to for support of community and nation. And so I really appreciate my culture this, this month. Absolutely, thank you. Afia, your platform is called The Style House. Why did you start it and how does it help women develop their personal style in an authentic way? Um, 
Well, thanks for the question. And I'm going to try to be succinct without giving my entire resume. My career started as a magazine editor. And um, when I was pregnant with my first son, it was kind of the beginning of the decline of Canadian publishing in that, you know, there were whole sweeps of editors losing their positions, just, you know, the master was getting smaller and smaller. And so it was by necessity to begin with, um, but then it eventually evolved into a way that the things, addressing the issues that I had felt as an editor at magazines. So in and out lists, um, always chasing new and shiny and it's gradually evolved as I've gotten older that this is not just a personal mandate, but one that's economically, environmentally, a little bit more sustainable. So I love my fashion. I love following it. I love, you know, all the celeb spotting and all the things that we have fun with. But at the same time, recognizing that there are inherent issues within the industry. And so with the Style House, my intention is to bring the joy back into getting dressed. Have fun with your denim shirts, have fun with getting dressed and showing up as how you feel represents yourself authentically, but doing so in a way that's not motivated by comparison or um, inadequacy, but rather one that comes from, you know, self-expression and fun and joy and one that's sustainable. So, you know, let's see outfits being repeated on social media. It's not all about the hauls. It's about repurposing what you have and showing that it can be worn differently um, in many different ways, you know, how many of us look at a full, full closet and think like I have nothing to wear. That's just flexing a style muscle. And so helping women to get to that is where I'm at with it right now. Um, did I get to the question? <laughs> no, it's perfect. And it actually, um, you know, Jen, a lot of that would resonate, I would imagine with cheekbone beauty. So how does cheekbone beauty encourage authenticity? Uh, Well, we just started today an incredible campaign that we're calling Warrior Wisdom, where um, its focus is on women over 40, how that that version of us gets left out of the beauty narrative a lot of times. And so in, in a lot of the research and when we looked into our culture, it's our communities that often have revered age and wisdom um, and they sustain communities. And so that really marries well with our brand's foundation of truly being a sustainable beauty brand where being yourself is is beautiful. Um, we have these really mixed up versions of, of, I think, what beauty is because of media. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of us, it, it's just left so many um really it burned these visions of what we think we're supposed to be like because of what we see and read across media and so as a brand we're working really hard to show that that expression of beauty is really what anyone defines it to be there is no version you're beautiful if you think you're beautiful or whatever you find to be attractive is attractive um and that and it's hard to do and so it's just pushing that story constantly and putting it in front of people that no, this, it doesn't have to be a certain way. It can be a lot of things. Um, and then, you know, of, of course I, uh, we try to make things that will last longer our multi-purpose, um, products so that a customer could use less and, and still get the most out of, out of the products they're using. It's something that we've been working so hard on, but definitely sustainability is a, a big, part of the foundation of our brand and it is a journey there's definitely no end point there's no silver bullet for sustainability um but i think the conversation once it begins is when you realize what we can do as individuals and as organizations and communities to truly become more sustainable 
Absolutely. And may I congratulate you on Sephora? I know it wasn't too recent, but Cheekbone Beauty is now on Sephora. Yeah. Sephora Canada, Sephora US is next. We're uh, actually having a meeting with them this week. So hopefully that is our next uh, flag in the ground. Well, I mean. Congratulations. Congratulations. Erin, you said in your book, How to Break Up with Your Friends, uh, it's so much more about than just going through your contact list like a machete. Your book is about being true to yourself and establishing authentic connections. Why do you think it's such an important topic for women? And how does this translate to being a true friend? Yeah, so I was actually looking to do the follow-up of my first book, which is called How to Get Shit Done, Why Women Need to Stop Doing Everything So They Can Achieve Anything. And that book was really rooted in the female productivity, female empowerment space. And as I looked for what 2.0 of that could look like, I went down a lot of different frustrating dead ends. And after about six or seven months of trying to kind of do come up with an idea that I like, I woke up one morning, like 6am and I was like half asleep, half awake. And this sentence or phrase, how to break up with your friends was just in my head. And I kind of was like, what? I tried to go back to sleep, couldn't really. And over the course of the next two to three days, this idea just kept coming up in my head to the point where I stopped and said, what is this about? And so I started to look at my own friendships and, you know, I would consider that I a social person and I have a lot of good friends. But when I looked at them, I realized that I had a lot of built up kind of irritation or frustration with some of them. And some of them I actually missed, even though we were in a relationship. And so when I started to look at that, I had this epiphany that, you know, we have this untapped resource that's just sitting there of support of, um, of energy, of love, that we are kind of just dialing in, in a way that we don't do with other relationships. Um, and, you know, we are a culture that is obsessed with having information of any and all sorts. Like we know every calorie we're eating, every gram of fat or protein, we're wearing watches that track every single step we take, including like midnight runs to the bathroom. We don't want to miss a step. Marie Kondo, um, has taught us to like hold up a chair and ask, you know, does this bring me joy or go through your closet and say, does this sweater bring me joy? And so we have all of these kind of this awareness about so many aspects of our lives. And yet the people, right. We, especially in this category of relationship, we don't really do any kind of audit. And so when I started looking at that, I was like, and you know, I sold this title, um, February 23rd, 2020, which was three weeks before we went into quarantine down here, at least. I I thought it was an important topic. Then I had no idea how important it would become as all of these people were ripped out of our lives, kind of as we went into our micro bubbles. And so there was kind of a forced reflection about it. But for women in particular, as, as I mentioned at the top, you know, we've gone through a a, a tremendous, I mean, the world has gone through a tremendous kind of trauma with with this, but I I think women have have had to kind of field it in a a much different way. And 
And so I think finding these networks of people in friends, and the thing is on its face, you go, oh, I've got a lot of friends, but without the audit part, right? And, and, and in the book, I start with this idea that, you know, your first friendship must be your own with yourself. And so this idea of doing a self-audit and understanding where you are, who you are, how you got here and where you want to go, um, and then putting your your people in place that really respect and honor the answers to all of those questions and of course you, you it's reciprocal you you also respect and honor the other person in it could be an unbelievable way to find to to find support and kind of navigate the chaos of where we are at at this particular junction in time um so yeah thank you so much i just want to add one thing so The book is called How to Break Up with Your Friends, but there's only one chapter on how to break up. There's 10 chapters. There's only one on how to break up with your friends and what to do once you've done all the kind of the prep work. There's nine chapters on why friendship is so important and how to be in it and more authentically and do it better and get the most out of these relationships. I just like that. A love letter to modern female friendship. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I saw, I, yes, I saw on your Instagram uh, just today that you talk about, almost look at it, you know, as, I'm saying it wrong, but as like a date, right? And if right. they canceled 10 times, would you, right. would you not be pissed? <laughs> right. So, yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm, I'm a therapist, and it, as I was working on this book, I had another kind of epiphany where it's like, in therapy, you have individual therapy, you have couples therapy, you have family therapy. But there's nothing for friendships, right? And there's so that for me suggests that there's no kind of language out there to navigate conflict in these relationships. There's no blueprint about how to get into them, how to get out out of them with any kind of, you know, these are general, you know, generalities. But I think like when you're talking about romantic relationships, like boundaries and expectations are so clear, like we just know because it's out there, it's in the zeitgeist. And I think what you're referring to is I was interviewed by somebody who was saying to me, okay, Erin, I have this friend, we've been friends for years. And for the last two years, we've made plans very enthusiastically all by, you know, text and set up plans, very detailed, like very concrete plans. And without fail, the night before or the morning of that friend will cancel. Um, and I'll be like, what? And she's literally done this 10 times in a row. And she, hold, she held up her cell phone and showed me, you know, all, all in the correspondence and it was all there. And she goes, I don't, what do you, what do you think I should do with this friend? And I said, well, I've got news for you, unfortunately. I don't think you're in a friendship with this person. You're in some kind of weird relationship, but it's not a friendship um, because this other person has not chosen to commit to you or to the relationship. I said, let me ask you, put it another way. If you were dating a guy and the last 10 times he canceled, (laughs) what, 10, after two times he'd be gone. I was like, exactly. And that's because... We, there's just like an expectation that that behavior is unacceptable. But in friendship, there's so much more leeway and kind of it's like the wild, wild west because we don't examine these relationships. We think they're just kind of nice to have and things that should give, give, give as opposed to things that are alive and need work and attention. And so anyways, now I'm just giving you a, 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 a cliff notes of the book. Thank you so much. Um, so one of the themes for International Women's Day in 2022 is break the bias. So internationalwomensday.com and the UN have separate themes this year. So how has biases 
affected you in your personal life while growing your business? How have you faced and combated this? Jen, I'd love to start with you. Um, in tons and tons of ways, <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, there's not a lot of Indigenous businesswomen out there. So I think first and foremost, without sort of the path being laid and having a ton of examples to feed off of, anyone that I would engage with about this plan or idea and almost much like Erin this was you know I have no experience in the beauty industry I came from the food industry I had this crazy dream but still pop out of bed January 2015 there's these native little girls covered in lip gloss um, and at that same time I was learning about the history of my grandmother in residential school which is those boarding school systems in Canada in the U.S. that were meant to assimilate uh, Indigenous people into more a European way of life and living. And unfortunately, that system was very um, violent and painful and lacked uh, love, which is the foundation of every child that should be the foundation of every child's life. And so my grandmother was taken from our reservation at six and forced in that system till she was 16 and left. And I learned what generational trauma was. But then I'm learning this, had this dream. And again, it wouldn't go away. It was like, okay, this is something you got to figure out. And so spent the next two years trying to figure out how to make a lip gloss or, and uh, at the same time wanted to be true to the foundation of the brand, which was how can we give back and support our indigenous communities. And so grateful that, that we've stemmed that uh, and got to where we are. But that idea of bias has been there all along. I don't think many people believed me. I know, you know, think about it. I'm no experience in the beauty industry. I'm going to have a conversation with you to tell you I've started a cosmetics company. People looked at me like I was crazy and bananas. Um, and not only, you know, when I look at the industry in itself, I think it's run by all men that live in France somewhere, like the whole industry, like these are the leaders of the group. And so for women to be here certainly changed quite a bit over the few, these last couple of years, which is amazing with the, the sort of influx of indie brands and, and the, the D2C space where it made it um, accessible for all people to start a business or a brand. But we still face this, the challenge and the big one and the numbers that stood out to me the most in my early days were funding. So I've learned, you know, you need a crap ton of capital to start anything that's going to be, be a scalability. And... Um, Prove that I could start this with very little, did it from my basement and did it on my own for three years just to build and be, literally prove the concept. And I had to do that. And I look back now and I read stories of other women who happen to be white that just got capital and then also other um, men get capital very simply. But I had to exhaust myself to the point of fainting um, in August of 2019 when I was finally able to quit my because I, I had to do a full-time job and build cheekbone on nights and on the weekends so I was working 100 hour work weeks because I had two things plus I'm a mom and I have two children um, and when I look back I'm like that is insane it is absolutely insane that I did that and did not give up on this idea or the brand um, and would it have been easier if I was not an Indigenous woman? Maybe. I'll never know the answer to those things. 
but I believe that I can, you know, carve out a path for other Indigenous women. Um, and hopefully you have, that you have it won't be as difficult for the next one that comes along our way. Um, but um, thankfully, the, you know, our communities and anybody who's a customer that has supported the brand, you know, this only exists because of all their support and help and finally got funding. And when I read the statistics again early on, Indigenous women, you know, receive less than 1% of the funding available. We're at the bottom of the funding barrel, if, if, if that's a place, but um, we don't get funded. And I cried when the moment uh, our investment group um, agreed to do this. And really with, you know, when I think of all the investment deals that could come our way in this organization, Raven Capital out of Vancouver, Canada, um, is truly, one, they're indigenous owned and operated as well, but they're also focused on social impact businesses. But I'm just, I was, you know, in awe that it's its three men that run the group, but they saw our brand and believe in it. And another one of their investment funds is run by another incredible woman. Women, And I'm just looking at the work that they do to support that. And that's what we just need. We need more incredible uh, allies and people believing what's possible because uh, we're, we, we belong here too and we deserve the funding as well. Yes, you do. And you have already carved out the path for Indigenous women and men and youth to, you know, follow in your footsteps and walk beside you through this journey. So, and thank you again for being here. Erin, you've been involved in a lot of typically male-dominated fields like stand-up comedy, uh, political consultancy, digital entrepreneurship. You're passionate about helping women combat this constant state of guilt, getting women to do less so they can achieve more, as we just talked about. Have you experienced bias in your career? And if so, how has it shaped what you write about? Yeah, I absolutely have. Um, I wasn't planning on talking about stand-up comedy, but <laughs> that, but I will say, you know, I started in Canada. Um, I heard an ad as I was driving to my best friend's house for Yuck Yucks, uh, which is, I don't even know if that comedy club is still around, but it was to find Canada's funniest new comedian. And I was 16. And when I arrived at my best friend's house, we were supposed to do like do some a study thing. I was like, Oh my God, we got to write a comedy thing. We've got to do this competition. She was like, what? Anyways, long story short, we ended up, <laughs> we, we ended up entering and winning um, in Winnipeg where I'm from. And when we were supposed to be flown to Toronto for the national competition, they realized that we were 16 um, to, when they were buying our plane tickets. Um, but we had to give our ID to get, you know, whatever and so they were like well you're disqualified because we can't even believe we let you into a club that serves alcohol um <laughs> not a good luck for yuck yucks but anyways that was the beginning of my of, of starting to do stand-up comedy so I was a very young girl really uh when I started that and right off the bat um that is a heavily heavily uh you know male it was a heavily male it still kind of is um male-centric career and we were like these young women with like these older guys and comedians can be really dark and weird and yeah. so I we faced like a lot of we when I look back on it like so many almost kind of dangerous situations like where there was like a lot of 
really inappropriate behavior. Um, so that was my first kind of foray into that. But um, uh, yeah, all throughout my career, I, you know, I probably have seen saw it the most when I was going to write, try and raise capital um, much in, in, I mean, in a different way than Jen, because obviously being indigenous, indigenous is even a harder um, mountain to climb. But I remember with my partner at the time, Jerry Hirsch, um, we put together this deck and we created these little videos as a proof of concept for, for our company, uh, LEAF, which stands for Living, e Eating and Fashion. And we wanted to be like the new kind of digital Martha Stewart um, because so much of like home ec had been cut in schools down here and like the basics weren't being taught. And so we created these 60 to 90 second videos around living, eating and fashion. And um, we had this really strong proof of concept. We went on YouTube, right? Kind of when YouTube was blowing up and our channel started to really blow up. And so we put together this really in-depth business plan um, went out, we got a lot of buzz. We, we were had full-time jobs. So we had to take all these meetings, like lying to our boss. And I remember like more, like two or three times we'd gotten to the final level, like round with these big VC firms. And we'd be there and there'd be like an entire, you know, boardroom full of people. And we do the whole pitch and everybody was very excited. And two or three times we, and they were all men the chief decision maker in the room would say, we love this idea. We think this, this can be scaled, like blah, blah, blah. And all the reasons why they loved it. And at the end they said, okay, so who do you think should run the company? And we were like, what? Like us, what are you talking about? Who do you think should run this company? We put these, this idea together. We've got the proof of concept, which we produced ourselves. Who? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Say this out loud yeah. in front of us. But it wasn't one time, it wasn't two times, it was at least three times. And the only, so we probably had 10 or 11 of these meetings, again, with really big VC funds. And we ended up being funded, not through any of those, but through a woman who had a company um, on YouTube, an MCN, a multi-channel network on YouTube called Style Hall. And she had this like, really powerful like kind of voice in YouTube. She was in the videos. She had like a company around MCNs. And she actually gave us a million dollars because she saw what our videos were doing on YouTube and saw how we could transition that off of YouTube and then into the larger um, e-commerce space. And so not one of those groups that were so excited to give us money, but just weren't confident the two women could run it, gave us money. And we were like doing everything to raise money, like rehoming the deck every time we had a meeting i yeah. remember we flew to san francisco and lied that we both had food poisoning to our boss because we worked at the same company doing all this crazy stuff and then we were like devastated because we we're like this isn't going to happen this is and we got so close we were like definitely this one's going to happen definitely this one's going to happen so it was just like this roller coaster and then none of them came through and then out of the blue somebody's like hey i heard you were raising money could could i get in on the round and wow. we're like uh, yeah, the round is dead, but sure. <laughs> Let's and and yeah. so that's how it kind of happened. So yeah, the bias was off, like literally people telling us to our faces like we don't think you can do this. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was crazy. Do you think that's still happening today? <clears throat> Certainly. Um I don't think it's happening in such a literal way where you know i mean me yeah. too has like had a major impact on the way people just at least outwardly talk yeah 
Um, but yeah, I think it takes a lot of time to overcome, you know, those, those biases that, that people hold. It's not just because there's a shift like that, then it takes so many more years and sometimes longer than that to really have like a, a, a felt sense of what equality um, is. And so I definitely don't think we're close to that yet. Yeah. Unfortunately. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Afia, how do you think bias exists within the fashion industry and how can we break the bias? What can we do to break the bias within the fashion industry? I mean, it's tricky because similar to what Jen and Aaron were saying, that bias isn't necessarily so overt. So it's not something tangible that you can say, this person used a racially spurred word or there's not usually those things. It's more the inherent um, lack of representation that you see it in and typically you know as human beings like kind of attracts like and when you don't see yourself represented it represented um you feel that potentially there's an inherent bias and it's the not knowing that sometimes is tricky so within the fashion industry for example i can speak to my personal experience um a lot of interns and stuff it was a free um, internship. So for example, someone like myself who didn't have uh, family wealth, I had to work in addition to doing a free internship. So right there for many people that would automatically weed people out because it's difficult to work two jobs, go to school full time and do an internship, but you need an internship to get your foot in the door to get a job down the road. So those kind of um, measures from the beginning and the outset um, right away have an inherent bias to them so it's not overt and it's not specifically saying that xyz group black woman is not welcome but when we recognize that typically students of color are having to work through school and then to then have a free internship that right there out of the gate is setting you at a disadvantage so it's from that as from the scholastic level to the internship and then to the jobs because then it's who are your contacts who are, you know, who's representing you throughout my career, I could probably say, you know, there's a handful of editors. And I also do television and broadcasters hosts that I've worked with who are people of color. So it's always very much, you know, very much the same environment that you're showing up to. So you're othered kind of right away. And um, that's a difficult, you know, it's a difficult environment, you have to have tough shoulders and be able to continue like, to persevere through that. And it's not an easy thing to necessarily encourage somebody to do when they're not seeing themselves in there. So of course, more representation, having people at the decision-making tables, these are all things that we've heard so much of, but that is where it comes like, you know, we're starting to see now a little bit more like you might see some more models now, which is great. And so you see diversity and it has to start somewhere, but who's actually making these choices and Oftentimes, it's not people of color. And so we're seeing a nice start, but there's a lot more. There's a lot further to come. What do you think needs to change in order to create more access to the entryway into fashion? So more, you know, um, young people can enter into this industry through internships, how can the doors open more for people to, to get into this industry if they don't have natural connections? Yeah, that's a difficult question because, you know, when we talk about um, ensuring that X amount of spots are reserved for people of color, then you get into, 
you know, the question as to whether or not people were there deservedly or were they just given um, a chance because of it. So you want to ensure that talent is being recognized. So for example, like Aaron or like Jen, when those find like that capital, they clearly had solid ideas by all measures. And so who is making those decisions to say no to a very solid idea? And similarly to the fashion industry, we can see like there are very intelligent people out there who can see that there is a solid plan or that they have their shit together for lack of them. Sorry, that better word. And why are they not being funded? So who is kind of checking and balancing the yes or no's at the end of the day and holding people accountable, having people on your staff that don't look like you being receptive to other voices and ensuring that maybe the single final decision isn't being made on one person's shoulders or one room of people who all look the same shoulders, but rather a a diverse group. So how you come about that, whether that's because they're sitting on your board or because you've brought in um, council, independent council, that can be a personal business measure, but ensuring that that decision at the end of the day isn't made solely by a monolith. Absolutely. Jen, I saw you nodding your head as Afia was speaking. I would love to know what you were thinking, listening to what she was saying. Yeah, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about lists because I feel like the way that the world is like justifying or paying attention to these special days, months, um, is making lists. You know, we find ourselves as a brand on a lot of Indigenous lists. Um, I don't want to make those Indigenous lists right? And and we are in the beauty industry. I want to make beauty industry lists. Right. Uh, and I'm getting to the point where I'm, you know, I think about all the work that we've done as a brand. And, you know, we're a small indie brand. We built a lab. We hire a team of chemists to that work in-house. We pay these people full-time to build and create and make stuff. Um, and I feel like we're doing so much in terms of innovation, uh, using waste from the land that we operate on and pulling active ingredients from those and putting them in future products. Like, we're doing all of these things, um, yet we're still not being recognized at all in the beauty industry and so I feel like there becomes a real unfair bias when people feel satisfied by here we're a media publication we're going to make a list yeah now we feel better check done it's not enough right it's like pay attention to who's really doing the things ask more questions there definitely has to be a deeper dive into showing um showing more interest into to to really what businesses or organizations are up to and doing Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. Actually, on that note, switching gears to sustainability, the UN says that women are more vulnerable to climate change impacts than men as they constitute the majority of the world's poor and are more dependent on natural resources. So when I read this, it reminds me of the women makers that we work with globally, that I know some of them personally. So hearing this is is shocking. On the flip side, women also stand out as effective and powerful leaders for change. Jen, how do you incorporate sustainability into Cheekbone? We talked about this a lot on um, the episode that we did together. Uh, And what are your thoughts on the particular impact climate change has on Indigenous women and traditional craft? Well, at Cheekbone, it's definitely built into the foundation. The whole original concept was us sustaining our communities. And so... What I mean by that is the rate of suicide uh, amongst Indigenous youth is higher than the national average. Um, And, you know, the more I looked into 
that and my own personal experience with losing my brother, my younger brother to suicide, helped me see that there was something amiss, like what is going on that that is happening. And it was this whole idea of building a brand where indigenous kids, one, could see themselves through representation. And it was that first layer of cheekbone that was our idea of sustainability, which was sustaining our communities by building something that our kids could see themselves in. And then also having this idea of giving back to communities that supported Indigenous youth. As the brand grew and the more I learned about the beauty industry, so remember having no experience there, oh my goodness, there's like so many gaps in places, like the industry is just rife with plastics and waste. Um, and then I really started thinking about my Anishinaabe roots and Indigenous teachings. We built the brand using seven grandfather teachings, which are just really concepts, uh, principles and values like love, honesty, um, courage, uh, about in, in the foundation of the brand and so we started there and then there's other indigenous teachings like what we do today does impact the next seven generations that comes from an indigenous teaching and the idea of success within indigenous communities about is about how much we give back versus how much we attain for ourselves so bringing all of those ideas and concepts into the brand um, and that then started with how we make and create everything and so now we use a western concept called life cycle thinking or life cycle analysis from the beginning of the harvesting of a raw ingredient to the end of the life of a product including its packaging most importantly um, what is happening to that and how do we not have things end up in a landfill and that is where we began that process and so we've just included all of those things um, into the work and again it's a journey we're definitely not perfect we have so much more to learn and do um, and sustainability is very capital intensive. So again, we need, you know, we ever all the money that comes into the business, we just keep putting back there so that we can do more good things on that sustainability journey. And I feel, you know, it's a start and I've definitely learned that it's so important. It's really important. And if I think about how my ancestors view, have viewed um, the gift that is this planet, you know, uh, it's interesting when you think about sustainability, Indigenous people make up 5% of the world's population, yet they are the groups and communities around the world that are protecting 80% of the world's biodiversity. Why is that? It's because this belief that we are in relationship Indigenous people believe they are in relationship with everything. So when you're looking at a tree, the water, the land, um, those are, that's like family. And uh, my family comes from the bear clan. And my dad will say things when I'm calling, like when the bears are coming out at the beginning of spring, that our cousins are there. And he's not laughing as I'm chuckling when he says that to me. He's not. He's actually quite serious because we are in relationship with every living thing. Beautiful. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much. I feel what about the issue of fast fashion and the impact of fast fashion on the climate? Yeah, I want to echo what Jen said as well, that I'm by no means perfect. And I think probably much less so than Jen. I'm trying. And I think that my platform has been a journey and I'm very vocal about that, that I'm learning myself and trying to do better my background is magazine broadcast fashion. So there are a lot of missteps and I'm trying to right my wrongs and, you know, when you know better, you do better. So with respect to fast, 
fashion, I think we just all know it's just not sustainable. And we see a lot of this quote unquote greenwashing within um, that industry talking about sustainable measures and they recycled this and repurposed that. But at the end of the day, when a certain amount of volume is being produced, it just is impossible to be sustained. It's, you know, we have islands of fabrics and clothing contents and, and, you know, countries that are just being buried by clothes that we think we're doing good by sending it off as a secondhand piece and there's nowhere for it to go. So all that to say that fast fashion has got to slow down because there's just no way that you can have the volume and the output that is currently happening and not think that we're going to reap the, you know, consequences of that. Um, when you have a site that has thousands of new garments introduced every single week and, you know, um, influencers and content that is encouraging daily hauls and not to see the same outfit twice. And so you don't expect your clothes to last because whatever, somebody's already seen you in it. So who cares if it falls apart because it's old news. It's just a whole perspective shift that we need to do globally. And we all need to get on board because we're going to figure it out soon enough, whether or not by choice or, um, you know, because earth is not too pleased with us. So yes. uh, fast fashion's got some big changes to make. Yes, absolutely. And Erin, what are your thoughts uh, on sustainability? You know, just like we were talking about the bias, where we're at right now with sustainability is, um, I think that there are efforts made, I think it's a real conversation. But until we really shift thinking, you know, in terms of, and, and um, digest what that means in our lives. In other words, like, it's, it's great to say, like, you know, I don't want to have a new outfit. I don't want to look, you know, I want to repurpose, but until that really becomes ingrained in who you are. And so it's not like you're consciously making a choice. That's just the way you operate in the world. Mm -hmm. Only then I think will we be in a place where real change can happen. Um, again, right now we're at, it's great that it's, it's out in the zeitgeist and people are talking about it, but I keep seeing these, you know, UN reports being released and these global scientists reports being released. And I'm like, the lip service needs to really um, catch up to kind of indoctrinated behavior fast because yeah. there's a, a real imbalance on, on the speed with which um, the sustainability crisis is going to be reach a point where, you know, a point of no return, not to be too dark about this, but th that's what it seems to you know, all these reports are saying. And so we've got to get from a place of talking about this and, and being curious about it to actually living this in every fiber of our being, because that is the kind of substantial change that needs to happen in order to try and kind of right this ship. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to switch gears. International Women's Day is a day that we can honor each other. What advice would you have for women who are trying to figure out who they are, what they want to do to uniquely make a difference? Erin, why don't you take this first? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that really um, stood out in this talk for me is, you know, this, the idea of the bias, which of course is, is the theme of this whole talk, but seeing representation of women of color, of just women generally, and, and women of color. That's why, for me, the idea of the of, of of this book that I've written is so important because 
it's not just about having friendships and, that help you and that are meaningful. It's that if you can be really kind of intentional about the women, other women in your life and not just create echo chambers, really seek seek out people that share your core value but have a different life experience and we can get again that ingrained in our own behavior on our individual level i think that's one of the best ways of being able to take it out collectively and so and i'm, I'm really having a deeper understanding when you when you have a friend that is of a different life circumstance or a different race or religion and hopefully more than just one different sexual identity when you have a friend in your own world that is like that and you you value and love them and see how they operate differently in the world but again share share a core value with you i think that's the quickest way to having a ripple effect out collectively and so while this idea of female friendship as i said is is nice and, and important for many reasons um you know physical mental health all of that stuff, it's not just nice to have, it's a real responsibility, um, again, so that we can take what we learn in our individual wor worlds and be able to kind of have that sp spool out into the collective. And I think that as women where we need to be is as tight as we can and show the, everybody else how we support one another and model that so that it becomes easier and that so that in boardrooms, where decisions are made, funding is given. And how about the people making who funds it is representative of more than just a man in France, right? And so I think it's got to start with us and our own behaviors, not just in talking about it, but in living it. Yeah. And so I think this is like the most important place to start because it's what we know. Thank you. Absolutely. Afia, taking from your experience with founding the Style House, what is your advice for women who are, you know, at a crossroads trying to find out who they are and how they can uniquely make an impact in the world? It's a tricky one because it's such a big question. It's kind of like a life question, but, um, you know, but it's, it's kind of like the question. But yeah. I think ultimately what it is is that we have an intuitive knowing and it's getting quiet and listening to yourself and following through because oftentimes it's when we're looking for that external validation or that confirmation that we're on the right track that we end up being derailed. Usually we do know. And if that's like, and I don't want to go out on a different tangent than what we're talking about right now, but if we can get quiet and really reflect whether that's journaling or listening to ourselves or what is that dream we keep waking up with or what is that nagging thought that keeps occurring to us. Um, follow that and go with it and recognize that, you know, your influence may be your small sphere, but that is something and that counts and that is valuable and that is good. And when you're showing up as your authentic self, and I don't want to get too trite with it, we've heard this, but that is a value. You are making that positive contribution to the world, whether you see that as an energetic level, which I think is very important, or just physically showing up and encouraging somebody else and seeing you that it can be done. That counts for a lot. And you don't know what that ripple effect will be. So right now we're in a world of likes and reshares yeah. and reposts, and that's how yeah. we measure our success. And that's not necessarily, I mean, that is a lovely thing. And we know that that impacts and triggers our, do our dopamine levels and it feels great but it's not the only thing and so how are the people around you responding to your energy and you're showing up in that life and recognizing that that is highly valuable and if you can get that right you're on the right track my inner self is cheering inside That's <laughs> so well said so well said thank you I I will take that 
with me today on this day as a reminder. Um, Jen, founding Cheekbone Beauty, what advice would you have for anyone looking to, you know, entrepreneurs or anyone looking to, to come out of the corporate world similar to what you did? What is your advice to, to, those, um, to those people who want to start a passion project or start um, a cosmetic company? <laughs> Definitely know why you're doing it for sure. There has to be a huge purpose. Like this is not easy at all. Um, It's definitely challenging and not for everyone. Uh, And don't, you know, definitely don't do it for money, number Mm -hmm. one, (laughs) or recognition or because it's fun. Those are like definitely the don't do it. Do it because you have a huge problem that you feel like your your brand or idea will solve too and that you have so much passion for it that it could be four in the morning and you will wake up and for free and go speak to people uh, indigenous people in New Zealand and I'm only using that example because I did that <laughs> early on because you care so much about what you're working on and want to empower communities um, that are that are like yours and so um, and it doesn't take any great skill. I have no great skills, to be perfectly honest and, and with everyone. Uh, but I did have passion. And I just consistently woke up every day for the last five years, seven years before it actually launched and uh, did something to make make uh, cheekbone, the cheekbone beauty dial move a little bit forward. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much. To end our conversation, um, I would love to talk about pivoting, the big pivot. Um, you have all experienced a pivot in your own lives. And I think we've covered the topics all the way from stand-up comedy. <laughs> love that one. Um, but, you know, realizing what's working for you and what's not and, and leaving a stable career for your passion projects. Jen, so um, you left your marketing job. You were on Dragon's Den and you also battled alcoholism. Can you talk to us about the power of pivots and transitions? Yeah, I think as someone who lives in sobriety that has kicked the addiction to alcohol um, and no longer even has cravings for it whatsoever, it's been almost it's seven and a half years now, um, that is pretty powerful. I you know when I think now people are like how what made you think you could even do this in such a competitive industry and early on I said it's because I gave up alcohol once that happened I was like well holy crap I can do just about anything and I literally believe that um, because I overcame such a powerful addiction uh, and when you experience something like that in your life it definitely gives you the courage and and uh, the vulnerability to be able to go out and do anything that you feel like you you can um, accomplish and so that certainly for me has played a huge huge role in being able to continue to wake up every day and still believe that cheekbone beauty can be the biggest most sustainable beauty brand in the world um and yeah that's uh and and what advice do you have for all dreamers listening well dreams are awesome 
they definitely come with a ton of hard work. Um, and so realizing, yeah, you have the dream, but like it's the execution. That's where it really shows if you're, a, a re in my opinion, that's just my opinion. Um, if, if like I see the difference between like the real, an entrepreneur is someone who has that dream and then completely executes on it. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Afia, you were an editor at Canada House and Home Magazine, a fashion editor at Lulu. You left the magazine industry and went out on your own starting the Style House. What emotions did you experience during this time and how did you make the pivot? Can you talk to us about the power of pivots and transitions? Um, I think that sometimes it's going with the flow, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like when I look back, it seems so intentional and linear. But at the time, I didn't know, to be honest. It was just what happened to me. As I mentioned, my position was eliminated and it was just, I hit the ground running. I was pregnant and didn't really see that I wanted to go back to the magazine industry. It was on shaky, shaky ground. And I kind of just followed what was in front of me. I didn't um, have a huge thought process, which doesn't sound like much advice, but at the same time, it's also just recognizing what's in front of you and realizing that sometimes new chapters aren't going to be huge dramatic moments. Sometimes it's just working with what's in front of you and making the best of that. And something sometimes blooms from that. Um, yes. And being receptive. Right? I love that. What is happening. I think so many of us are, have those moments in our lives that we look back and think, oh my goodness, like, I didn't realize it at the time that that was such a course correction or change of direction, but, you know, it's retrospectively. So in those moments, if you can keep your head, you know, and your wits about you, I think that you'll best be able to navigate it. I love that. And it's like Aaron's pitch. Those men, you know, who, who's going to lead this company? You're like, what are you talking about? We are. That's right. In that moment, it probably, you know, you went back to your your work. How's the food? How's the food poisoning? We're okay. But really, you know, your confidence must have just been down. And then here you are on a course corrector that you didn't even know about. Yeah, I, I agree with both what Jen and Afia have said. Number one, it, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I, you know, I was on a very fast track before that. I was like a very type A, like A in school, like valedictorian, head girl, like the whole thing. And I was on my way to law school. And then, you know, very much like the idea to do stand-up comedy just kind of arose within me. I had this thing where I was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to defer for a year and I'm going to give writing a chance. And so I called up uh, the school and I said, hey, you know, whatever I need to, I can't, I can't come in today. Can you give me a, an extension and with, even with the best intentions um, that one year off ended up, you know, being like five years. And then I moved down to Los Angeles and I moved down to LA to be, you know, a famous writer and kind of what Jen was saying, it's like, it's not enough to just have a dream. I, I came down here with a dream, but with no plan, with nothing other than like, I've got passion and that's not enough. You have to be able to be disciplined to navigate the waters, to do the work that's really boring and uninteresting that other people won't take the time to do. And so I found myself very down and out. No, like it took, you know, seven years of being in LA, but it was an abject failure. And I, you know, I had no money, my visa was up, my I had no car, it was a really kind of, you know, bleak situation. And um, I was going to have to go back to Canada. And I called 
two of my mentors um, and crying and was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm so, I'm in so much trouble here. And they were like, well, do you still really want to be a writer? And I was like, yeah, but who cares? Like this, I can't pay my bills. You know, I'm in big trouble here. And they were like, well, that you need to double down on that. Both these, these are different calls and these two people don't know each other. They're like, that's your true that's your voice that's speaking to you. you need to listen to that and I was like are you insane you know I'm literally crying on the bathroom floor like a bad rom-com and except it's my life and and um they were like that's the only you know advice we can give and so the next day I said okay I'm gonna put out a hundred resumes on Craigslist and if I get a job like let, let me see if I get anything. I put a hundred resumes out. I got one job offer, which was a $15 an hour copywriting job at a startup, which is in 2008, which startups are like really new blogging the internet like really kind of new. Um, <clears throat> and I was like, Oh my God, this is not the writing job I came down to Los Angeles for. Um, but I'm going to take it because I'm doubling down, I guess, on this, my internal, my voice, but this time, instead of just like letting life happen to me, I'm going to put a plan around this. And even though it's a $15 an hour copywriting job, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make something happen with this. And out of that, I was able to start my blog, Pick the Brain, uh, which is still one of the biggest self-improvement blogs in the world. And I, and it's because I did the work and all, all these years later, you know, I think 15, 17 years later, I get a call from a New York lit agent saying, Hey, we'd love you to write a book. And I was like, I can't believe this. Like I came to Los Angeles. I failed spectacularly. Um, I clawed my way back up through in a very unexpected channel, not something I would ever have. I could have never, if you'd asked me in Toronto, what career would you have to be like a self-improvement blogger would never never have come on my radar and yet there it was and so like to Jen's point like being able to put a plan being able to really be awake yeah. and alive and willing to roll up your sleeves and do the work and then to Afia's point of being like open to the magic of what the world offers as opposed to just being like this is what I'm doing when you are living in your authentic space and doing the work it's amazing what life provides you and you want to be in the place where you can be open to accept what is given to you because again you cannot predict none of life is really linear it's like this right mm -hmm. and so yeah it's through the failures that actually i am here where i'm where i'm at today because i never could have scripted this um it's just an attitude towards failure as being a teachable moment i mean you feel the hurt you feel the pain and then you have to say what can i learn and oh wow maybe this is going to take me in a dis in a direction that i never could have as I said, scripted. And that's exactly what happens. That's kind of the magic of life. If you're doing the work in the first place. 100%. I will take that. I will take all of this with me into my day. Question, Erin, what advice or what would you say to anyone listening who is down and out right now? Yeah. And this is what so much of it all is about. And I think Avia kind of touched on this to begin with, this idea of being able to sit with yourself to understand the true core of who you are for at least 15 to 20 minutes a day. That's my, mm. that's kind of my prescription for me. That's meditation. It can be whatever it is for you, a bath device free, a walk device free, but you've got to find ways to strip away the chaos so that your, it, your internal voice that you can hear it. We all have it. It's just, there's so much noise that we can't hear it. And so it's incumbent upon us to find whatever it is, 
that allows you to take with discipline and, and every single day to turn the volume way down, if not off on the chaos. Again, for me, that's meditation to allow the dreams, the voice, the answers to rise to a level that you can hear them. Otherwise, you're going through life um, not not operating from a position of power, which is your true authenticity. You're out there blindly searching for the answers when they're right inside you. And so the only thing that saved me was doubling down on that voice within me that said, and I had a little help from mentors pushing me in that direction, but saying that's the only voice that matters. It might be scary. It might be whatever. You might feel like shit, but li keep listening. Um, so yes yeah so cheering inside 100 100 percent. i'd love to open up the virtual floor to uh any closing thoughts afia i really love the direction that this conversation ended up going in i think and i don't want to speak for jen and aaron or yourself Chelsea, but it's like it seems that we all recognize that there's something more out there than just like you know the tangible stuff in front of us and i think that when you can open yourself to that um magic happens as Jen said and just or just your life unfolds in a way that's not as chaotic and confrontational as it could be so I think that's something that we can all take away just to remember that even if you're down and out in this moment then nothing is ever stagnant nothing is finite things change all the time so remembering what it is that you're looking to do and opening yourself to be you know directed <laughs> Yes, I have the biggest smile because <laughs> I, I agree completely. Jen? Yeah, I love this whole idea of that. Those, you know, I constantly share this with Indigenous youth at, at events where I'm speaking to them about this idea of those mistakes we made or those things that we've gone through. For me, it's sharing the, the my whole journey through alcoholism that if I was in that situation still, again, like Erin just said, I couldn't, I can't even imagine that my brand is in Sephora. Mm. Like it in like I can't even believe that happened. Even though that, you know, it's on the plan, that's the work, that's where I wanted to go. Um, but if this was six years ago, ten years ago when I was still struggling, could not even imagine. And so I think sometimes if we just take that time to stop and get so self-aware, yeah. I keep saying this, like I was so blinded my, by my own BS for so long. Sadly, that's what addiction is, though. You become a really selfish individual that really it's all um, the whole focus is on you and what all the things, bad things that happened to you. The moment I'm like, just like let go of that and realized um, that like life literally has so much more to offer and the joy that you receive and happiness when you just let go of all of those things from the past, everything, let it just, you know, and now I said this morning to, to one of my colleagues, it's just like, I need to be in the space where I truly believe that every interaction I have with every human being is at, we're all just doing the best we can with what we have. And man, life just feels so much better with, from that viewpoint. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Erin, closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, I just think to keep having conversations like this and to really, again, the starting point is you and awareness around you so that then you can go out and have a deeper understanding of the other people that are operating in your world. And that's what it's about, right? It's We're totally relational and we're relational beings, but you also have to start with yourself. And so understand, because it, then it's, you know, if you're not starting from a place 
of authenticity or 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 a whole version of yourself, it's really hard to then go out and relationally connect with people in ways that matter. And so that awareness piece is just so, so important. And also the sense of personal responsibility. Yeah. Once you uh, understand your own personal responsibility, as opposed to deflecting, yes. blaming others with that sense of responsibility comes freedom and comes power. And sometimes it's very human. Um, humbling because, you know, we do make mistakes. We are less than sometimes, you know, we could do better, but it isn't owning that responsibility that we can really stand up and own our own power, Absolutely. personal power. And that's where we want to operate from imperfect, but powerful. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Thank you so much. And I think um, going back to the topics, it's imagining a world where we could live where differences and everyone's unique, everyone's unique differences are um, valued, you know, because everyone brings something different to the table. Well, thank you so much. It was really great to speak with uh, each of you and happy March. Happy early International Women's Day. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you guys. And I, I just love all things Canadian. So thanks, everyone. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was so lovely to start, chat and, you know, get this opportunity to meet you. And I stepped out for a second, just I, what, I thought you might enjoy this. Because my child's school is calling. So, you know, International Life. Women's Day, but that's how it goes, right? They call the mom first every time. So I'm trying to just sneak away quickly. Uh, I think my husband may have gotten it. But anyhow, it was really nice to meet you. Thank you truly for being a part of this narrative and a part of this special project. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank Bye. you so much. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this special Millie podcast episode and happy International Women's Day. This conversation was so motivating, encouraging, and enlightening. Find out more about Jen Harper and her gorgeous, eco-friendly vegan products at cheekbonebeauty.com and now available at Sephora. Visit thestylehouse.ca to learn more about Afia Francisco and check out Erin Falconer on Instagram, pickthebrain.com, and buy her new book, How to Break Up with Your Friends. Please join us next time for an interview with Ricarda Bashat, a dedicated humanitarian and manager of the Open Kitchen program at Give Something Back to Berlin, a multi-award winning association that connects migrants, refugees, and locals to engage in building an open and inclusive society. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please hit subscribe, share with your friends, and visit us at millie.ca.